I've been driven by a passion that has guided me and no matter how nervous or scared or uncomfortable I feel, at the end of the day, I come back to I'm doing this for all women. The Impact Business School has a mission to educate and empower impact-driven CEOs to build ethical and sustainable companies that create social and ecological change. I'm Patricia Cazero. I'm the founder of Impact Business School. And through Meet the Leaders podcast, I'm bringing you the stories behind the new wave of profit for purpose companies, as well as social enterprises and B Corps that have progressive missions and are addressing social justice issues as well as the climate crisis. On today's episode of Meet the Leaders Insider Stories with Impact Business Innovators, I'm absolutely delighted to be in conversation with Cherie Rubenstein. Cherie is an AFR 100 Woman of Influence, a Telstra Business Women's Award finalist and on the board of the Victorian Women's Trust. She's an incredibly accomplished and influential businesswoman here in Australia. She's the founder of the One Roof Community, which supports more than a thousand women entrepreneurs. And she has so many insights to share through this conversation about overcoming perceived failures, tackling our perceptions of what we can achieve as women, tapping into our ambition and building our network, and being highly strategic and smart about scaling a successful company. I invite you to listen in. There are so many highlights and would love to know what you found inspiring and insightful through this conversation. Cherie, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast, Meet the Leaders Insider Stories with Impact Business Innovators. I really admire your leadership and I wanted to speak to you today. You're one of those people who I look at almost juxtaposed with my own personality, this classic Mm. extrovert who's building community. That's what we've got in common, but I want to dive into your story of leadership and community building. So welcome, Cherie. Thank you, Patricia. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And Cherie, you're affectionately known as the Queen of Community. You've built this incredible community of entrepreneurs called One Roof. Could you share a little bit about what your community does and why you created One Roof? Sure. So we are currently a digital membership for female leaders and entrepreneurs. We basically try to be this kind of one-stop shop so that entrepreneurial women um, and ambitious and working women feel that they have a space and a platform to connect with women across the country, to learn, to attend, you know, events and masterclasses and troubleshoot business challenges. And and really we we try and and, um, our goal is to kind of be an extension of all of our members' businesses so that they're like, okay, I've got one roof on call. I can go to this community when I need support and have questions and feeling challenged and not sure if I could should continue doing what I'm doing. So a very honest space and community for members to connect and support one another. We used to be a co-working space and operator for women-led businesses. And I started One Roof because I was a, a corporate lawyer and just really felt that the messaging that I received as a young career-driven woman was my chances of success are less than my male counterparts simply because of the fact that I'm a woman and because, you know, I want to have children. And so then as time goes on, I will be um, penalized for that. And so I just became fixated and obsessed with removing the barriers that exist for women um, in business and entrepreneurship. 
Fantastic. And look, that's such a synergy with what we're creating at Impact Business School in that I had an experience of studying at an inner city business school at a university and I really felt that it didn't cater to me as a woman in my mid-30s and it was a very negative experience. But the interesting thing is that when I did a lot of research as a capstone project into the barriers that women face in business, there was this universal issue of gender inequality in business and women not having the support that they need. So my story was actually all all too common. And I think it's so wonderful what you have set up at One Roof to really help women thrive in business. So you mentioned that you've had to, you started originally as a co-working space. And I understand that you did have to pivot during the pandemic. Have you got any key learnings that you can share about keeping a business such as yours afloat during what's become a major crisis? Mm. And um, moving forwards, what kind of social impact that you're working towards in 2022? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess, yeah, I had big plans to build this kind of co-working empire for women-led businesses and set up spaces across the country and, you know, Um, not just create a physical space for women-led businesses, but to provide a whole suite of of support services and, you know, support women-led businesses to raise capital and go global and meet the right experts and so on. And when, and I'd raise capital with some great investors to help with the expansion of the business. And then when COVID hit, it just threw everything, like it, it, I, I called into question the entire business model and which was pretty scary. And my investors who I thought, and I became a mum one week into the first lockdown. So it was a pretty intense time. And then my investors were like, look, we know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but you need to make a decision. Like, what are you going to do with the money? Mm. And I couldn't put my hand on my heart and say, I feel confident investing your money into a co-working business model at this time. And so I decided to return the capital to the investors and it felt like the biggest failure. Like it was a moment of like, I had spent the last six years building up and promising that I was going to create this kind of business. And this is what I was doing. And this is the journey that I'm on. Mm. And so it turned from that to effectively a failure and basically me saying to my investors, I can't deliver on what I've promised. Um, But I remember one of my advisors calling me up and saying, Sheree, everyone is going online. Everybody's getting comfortable with Zoom. You need to use, like leverage what's happening in the market right now and and pivot and, you know, keep it simple and start generating some revenue and get your members back and offer them a, a, a deal early on and just start rebuilding from there and let's see what ha- what happens. And so my biggest lesson was taking what was a total failure and being able to turn that into a completely new opportunity. And so seeing that like there is always opportunity, even in the darkest, hardest moments and rebuilding, being able to rebuild slowly without spending much money and just testing and and generating revenue and building a membership base and seeing what what happens. And, you know, we'll we'll hit nearly a thousand members by the end of this year. So it's been just over a year, a year and a half. And um, we've very successfully been able to pivot and create a community and membership and new business model, basically from, from the ashes. Um, so yes. And then in terms of social impact in, in 2022 and beyond, 
it's hard, it's really hard to measure our impact. It's always been something that I'm quite challenged by. And, you know, we're B Corp certified and have gone through the whole B Corp process, which has really helped us to, to try to articulate and better measure our impact. But yes. impact is, you know, it's as, it's as small and, and superficial as the number of members that we can bring on all the way to as detailed as, how many members do we have we supported to increase their revenue to raise capital to you know eventually I'd love to see members list their businesses like you know IPO go global and then it's also the less intangible things like building confidence and the connections that are made through our community so yeah we have like a long list of like the different measures that are important to us it's hard for us to effectively measure all of those kind of impact measurements at the moment but um we are working on a framework and so it's just a constant evolution of of um yeah how we measure and i guess impact is just built into everything that we do from you know we we donate to charities every month to celebrate our members birthdays we partner with a social enterprise who delivers our welcome packs to all of our members we offer scholarships and discounts to uh, underrepresented communities and social enterprises and not-for-profits. And so we just, yeah, that it's kind of inbuilt at the core of who we are. I actually think it's quite incredible, the, the sheer volume and depth of the impact that you're creating when you outline it like that. And I, I think, you know, it can be in really small ways as well as um, the giving programs that you've set up but it's such a comprehensive way that you've in, embedded the impact into every element of your thinking and way of doing business. And as you say, the B Corp model is the highest standard of ethical and sustainable business. So I think that's really wonderful. And I appreciate you also sharing so candidly your perception of, of failure through this journey of, of giving that VC money back and pivoting um, through what was a <laughs> kind of a calamitous year <laughs> of things going wrong for most people. This, this really strikes me, though, this, this ability to talk so candidly about, about failure because we don't often do that as women and we're not socialised to just generally in Australian culture to talk about our failures. I wonder whether this sets you apart in some way. Like why is it that you're able to embrace uh, your learning curves as, as, a, as a failure or an experiment and to be able to move through it to actually succeed? Yeah, I think um, this idea, it's become a very strong value of mine, that concept of like sharing honestly, like really sharing the hard stuff and the stuff that tends to be taboo and we don't often share. And I think that came from initially when I was working in corporate law and the feeling that, you know, what I was watching in this industry was there's like this so much pressure around perfectionism and yet what's really going on under the surface is ridiculous anxiety and depression and, and, and you know, people pretending like they're okay and that they've got everything together is actually doing a disservice rather than helping. And, you know, I, I was just seeing the issues with that. So when I left that kind of world and that identity of who I was, I was like, I never want to create a space and a community and a business and an environment where people feel like they have to wear their mask every day and pretend to be someone they're not and hide what's really going on. Mm. And then 
I also just really strongly believe that the more women in particular can share the truth of what's going on for us. Like, you know, we turn up to work and to our businesses every day, um, you know, trying to be the best versions of ourselves. But often what's going on behind the scenes is like hard personal stuff. And I just think we're not supporting one another and we're not going to close that gender gap if we can't be honest about what's going on. And I, I've i shared things like, you know, my first pregnancy, we um, had to terminate at, at 22 weeks, so quite late in the pregnancy. And that was like a massive thing that I went through while I was building one in the throes of one roof with investors and so on. And how mm. could I not share that that's something that I'm going through in my personal life that has such an impact on women that, you know, society tells us, oh, like, don't talk about when you're pregnant and hide when you're feeling sick and like, don't talk about miscarriage. And yeah. so that was something I brought up really publicly, like shared at events. And the number of women who came to me to say I've experienced X number of miscarriages and never said it to anyone. Like, you know, I've worked in corporate and never told anyone. And I just... I just believe so strongly in creating a platform for us to be honest about what's going on. And it's not about complaining or just sitting around sharing all the issues we're going through. It's just, let's be honest and real and like support one another and cheer each other on knowing that like a lot of the time we're going through hard shit at the same time as trying to build great businesses. This is so powerful. I mean, everything you've just said, and I I think you have a, a real gift to be able to share your experience because in doing so, it gives people the space to also rise up and feel comfortable in their own skin. And I couldn't agree more that we, we do show up in our businesses trying to put on our, our best self, bring our best self to work. But the reality is that the lines are off blurred between personal and business life when we do step into the, the office, um, which is the nature of giving so much to our businesses. And um, I think this is a real gift. And another thing that I've I've really admired in your leadership style is your approachability. So this ability to speak the truth, but also to be available for members. As you said, you've got nearly a thousand members in the community. You've built up a small and highly effective team from my perspective. And I should to disclose, I'm a One Roof member. So I've got that privilege of being part of the community and, and seeing firsthand how many amazing things you're doing. One of the, the members of your team that comes to mind is the incredible Frances Go, and uh, I just think she is a leader in her own right and you give her the space to do that as the CEO and mm. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the backstory to hiring bringing in people who are talented in their own right what do you look for and how do you build that high performing team I mean, I guess in our business, it's it's often been less about the technical skills and um, much more about how, you know, the soft skills and the most important skills, I think, which are how, how do you go communicating with others, supporting others, creating a safe space, facilitation, um, connecting, networking, kind of learning on the go. Um, so, yeah, that that's really what I've always looked for it's it's much more about you know in interviews it's much more about like my ability to or the person's ability to connect with me and to show their you know how they work with people um, as opposed to how good are their technical skills and the experience that they've had I've hired a lot of 
people, but it's always been a fairly small team. I've never really had more than like four or five team members at any one time. And so, yeah, big, big thing for me is how the team gels, how, how people connect in with members, how they, you know, can problem solve in the moment and not mm. let a member feel like they're a burden. Um, mm. I have gotten it wrong probably only once. And um, what happened there? I think I hired more on experience than on personality and cultural fit. And it, it didn't work. It, it no. wasn't right. And, you know, I actually had, and we were running the co-working space at the time, and I had a few members even say to me, this, this feels odd. Like this person <laughs> doesn't feel that they have the values and the way that you have. And so some of that is just like innate in people. Like you've got to be someone who loves people, who wants to help and give back and support and be available Yes. Um, and you need to be warm and approachable like you described me. Like I, I yes. think there's elements of that that are fairly innate. Somebody kind of is wired that way or not. And so it's important for me to recognize that from the start. Some of it is learned and, and I am very, as a leader, I just believe so strongly in taking a step back and saying to, to our team, what, what do you think? Like, what, what, what do you want? How do you want to lead and show up? And what, what do you suggest? Like, I don't, believe in having all the answers I don't have all the answers and I'm not no. trying to to have all the answers so yeah I very much try to lead from the back and create space for our team to to be be their best selves and lead and decide make make decisions on what they think the direction yeah. of the business should be and how you know how we should solve certain problems that's that's a great insight thank you Sheree and one of the things that comes to mind for me as a coach uh, and working predominantly with female entrepreneurs is that often there's a hesitancy to delegate and to really step into that CEO role. Have you got any quick tips about handing over, delegating, getting into a comfort zone with, with passing on responsibilities to team members and allowing them to step up and do their job really well? Yeah, I think um, it is a challenge that a lot of particularly women entrepreneurs and business owners have you know we and I know I've had staff in the past say to me Sheree you've got to let go a bit more like I know yeah. I've got a bit of that as well yeah um I think and I discussed this with a, a member and business owner recently and she's going on maternity leave and she said you know she's freaking out about all the little things that is not going to be done to the standard that she wants it to be and I yeah. just said to her this is perfect because this is, you don't have a choice now, but to actually take a step back and let your <laughs> your team lead and yes. give them the, the ability and the chance to do so. And I think what's worked best for me is times when I've actually switched off from the business and even gone on holidays and literally handed it over to staff and said, like, this is, you know, what you're responsible for. I'm basically not available unless something goes wrong. And there mm. have been times where they have called me and been like, something went really wrong, but here's how we're handling it. They have been the best lessons for me to go, oh, they, that, like, the team can do it. I don't need to be over the top of them. Um, so, yes, I think... I think it's when leaders actually take time off and they take a step back and they say, I am handing you the keys mm. and I will support you and you, I'm on call if you need me, but you are running the show and I give you full, you know, 
responsibility and confidence to be able to, to do that, which is not easy for leaders and business owners to do. It's not easy, but I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of you need to enable <laughs> your team to actually do their job properly. And I think uh, what would be also valuable to get an insight into is, okay, so I understand you want to hire the right people who are people people. What about tech systems and processes? Because you're in a scale up, you've got Mm. a thousand plus members that's going to grow exponentially over the next few years. You've got a small team, but how do you use technology as an enabler to streamline Mm. and provide a consistent service? And as you say, be able to take leave and balance other things in your life. Mm, yeah, and I am now nearly 12 weeks pregnant and thinking about when I go on maternity leave. Thank yes. you. You know, how will, it, it, are things in order enough so that, you know, the systems are there and I can take leave? So it's a constant learning for me. My personality is like I can do anything and I can step yeah. in any time and I can just work harder and that's okay. So particularly becoming a mum has really helped me to realise I don't have all the time in the world and no. tech systems are crucial. So, yeah, we've done really well over the last year implementing systems that have been advised, uh, had an advisor on our board who helped redo our website and put in some important systems, help us decide on a membership platform to streamline things more so that it cuts out like invoicing things. And yeah, we can easily kind of assess, you know, our uh, track and measure kind of targets and whether we're hitting them or not. So I, I would say, like, I have advisors who, who step in to support me with that. It's not something that I do naturally, so I no. really need help there. But, yeah, as time goes on, we get better and better at streamlining that. I've got a financial advisor who has really helped to streamline a lot of, like, budgeting and tracking, like, the, of the finances, which has been really important. We've also got a couple of virtual assistants who help with a lot of that back-end finance stuff, which has been very helpful as well. And so I think tech is absolutely crucial, particularly for the kinds of businesses that we want to build that are scalable, Mm. that allow for, you know, I'm big in, and and you said this before, Patricia, we're quite personalized and approachable, but also we have to be able to grow. And the only way to keep growing and have 2,000 or 5,000 members is to keep streamlining and automating. And so there are just amazing platforms out there that are allowing us to do that more and more, membership Mm. platforms email marketing platforms, things like Zapier that allows us to automate like onboarding systems. And um, yeah, and Frances has been um, amazing. She really thinks about the streamlining of things as well. So she's come on and gone, okay, here's some things we need to change and Mm. here's some ways that we can streamline these processes. So we're trying to take out everything manual that is done in in the membership kind of sign up. Excellent. And I I think it's so important to acknowledge for people, for founders who are not tech people, that the technology, if you're an impact-driven entrepreneur, it's the key to creating impact and scaling uh, the mission. So it's something to really embrace. And I like that you said that you bring in advisors to help with this. So again, you have a wonderful team member, Francis, who's able to uh, streamline processes, but also bring in external advisors to advise you about how to scale moving forward. So that's that's fantastic. And um, I think my my next question is really around 
gender inequality and delving into the why of your mission because this is so aligned with what we're doing at Impact Business School in terms of creating a learning environment that fosters and helps women thrive in business. Mm. You have access to this a massive community of, of really ambitious and incredible entrepreneurs who are mainly women. What do you notice in terms of patterns that we could be doing more in our communities to really help women step into their positions of power and influence? It's one thing to provide the support, but how do we give them the next step up to feel confident uh, as CEOs and on boards and, and running the companies of the future? I think one of the biggest things is access to the right network. And I think mm. about this all the time because, you know, I'm building this amazing community of, of women, but I always come back to this question of how do I get women into the most influential rooms with the most influential people who have the money, who are the decision makers? We are still left out of those rooms very obvious evidence of that happening I mean we saw I think it was last year the Melbourne club voted which is a Sydney-based prestigious club voted to still keep women out of their club and they've got some of the most elite wealthiest high-profile decision makers in this club and so it's just so obvious that we are still left out of those networks and I think we need to make introductions we need to bring people with money, power and influence to link up with women and people from underrepresented backgrounds and minority groups because at the end of the day, and I've experienced this in building One Roof, Mm. most doors that opened for me and most opportunities that happened were because of me building a strong network and, and a network with influential people who can make a difference and have money and can invest and can support like that is where I've been able to build my entire business. And so if you don't have access to that that kind of network, then your chances of being chosen for certain roles and opportunities and so on are, are 100% less than those mm. who have grown up in, you know, gone to private schools and grown up in these kind of wealthier, high-status yes. communities. Well, as they say, your, your network is your net worth. And I think there's, there's two issues here. I remember going to the launch of a research paper by University of Sydney a couple of years ago, and they said that 95% of board members in Australian corporate, the corporate environment and tertiary sector were Anglo-Celtic men, Anglo-Celtic men from England and Ireland, but not even uh, people of colour from Australia. And I think yeah. that that secondary issue really is um, the intersectional issue of um, being a person of colour. You might be a woman and a person of colour who's striving to break into those these networks. Have you got any tips um, or insights around how people who face an additional barrier, such as women of colour or people with disabilities or some mm. other additional aspect um, to being a woman, how they can make um, make an entry into these networks? Because it is harder. There's a few things. I think you really just have to push through the discomfort and the fear and the, the self-doubt and any kind of fear of rejection mm. and reach out to people. I've done it so many times in my career and it's the scariest thing. And sometimes people say no or they don't respond, but most of the time they actually do. But I think it's, it's not just about 
cold reaching out to people and hoping that you get a response. I think you've got to be a little bit thoughtful in and maybe even strategic in in how you do it. So, you know, for me as examples, I've had lists of usually women who I'm like, one day I'm going to meet this person. So like Holly Ransom was somebody who, oh, or yeah. Sayant Tayyid was, they were women that I was like, I don't know how one day I'm going to connect with them. Yes. And, you know, I would read what's happening with them, read their books, read what they're doing, was they're in the media a lot, go to an event where I know that they were speaking at and then eventually find a way to connect with them, whether it was, you know, I, I think I emailed Cyan because I'd seen her speak in an event and I was too embarrassed to go up to her at the event. But I emailed her afterwards to say, hey, I loved hearing you speak and this is what I learned and this is why I'd love to connect with you. And so you need to find those connection points It's always the best if you can have a warm referral. That is by far the best. But if you don't have access to the network, how do you get the warm referral to begin with? And so, you know, it is also joining groups, whether it's one roof or other kind of groups for entrepreneurs, business owners, networking opportunities where you can say, hey, I'm looking to connect with these kind of people. Mm. You know, you you need to get out there and kind of build your network. So, yeah, I think think it's very important to think strategically and nurture those relationships. And, you know, you don't just meet someone once and then that's it. Like if they've given you advice, you need to take their advice and let them know what happens. Or if they connect you to somebody, you need to thank them and let them know what happened with that connection. I think there's just so much that goes into that relationship building, network building experience. That's much more than, hey, I need to pick your brain or, hey, here's my idea. Can you back me? It's, it's very much about, find, you know, research, building rapport, finding common ground. So I think, yeah, there, there's kind of strategic ways in how you build your network but of course at the end of the day it's got to feel authentic and genuine otherwise that also shines through if you've got an agenda somebody will be like trying <laughs> to get something from me of course well th- thanks for giving us an insight and I feel what's really coming through is that you use your initiative to drive yourself forward in business and life and uh, not everybody has that skill And I want to touch on this because you are an AFR 100 Woman of Influence. You're also a Telstra Business Women's Award finalist and you are on the board of the Victorian Women's Trust. Mm. So I can appreciate that you are an Australian woman who has a lot of influence in Australia and no doubt grow into global and global influence as well. What do you think's helped you to, to really rise up into this seat of power and become comfortable with using your initiative to have this visibility because not everybody's comfortable being visible. Has mm. this visibility, is that is that like the key to your success in a sense? It's a, it's a really good question, a really good observation. I think I've been driven by a passion and, you know, that has guided me and, and no matter how nervous or scared or uncomfortable I feel at the end of the day I come back to I'm doing this for all women and if I push through my own fears and my own self-doubt then I can encourage other women to do the same so Mm. everything I go through every failure every lesson it's like cool I can now share that with other women which is everything I stand for so that's always guided me Um, I guess I am ambitious and I love to learn and I want to constantly be growing and the second I fit you know in in like myself and and I think the second I feel stagnant or the second I feel that I'm 
avoiding something out of fear, I that's when I'm at my worst. And so I think mm. that has helped me push through and do things that, you know, take initiative and, you know, even ending up on the board of the Victorian Women's Trust. I mean, that doesn't just kind of happen one day. It's like I... How did it happen? Volunteering, I started volunteering with Fitted for Work and, and charity that supports women who experience um, disadvantage and helps them find work. And I was like, what an amazing organization. I just need to be involved in this. So yeah. they trained me up to become a mentor. And then from that... I ended up doing some, like put myself forward to do some casual work with them and they gave me the job. And then I started thinking, I sh you know, I want to be on a board. And so I met with the, the chairperson, Mary Crooks, the chair of the board of Fitted for Work and said to her, I like, I would love a board position. And then she couldn't get me on that board. They were like, I'm sure he's too young and inexperienced, but she was like, but what about the Victorian Women's Trust, which she's the ED of? And so then it became that conversation. I started doing volunteering work with the Victorian Women's Trust and then had an interview with them and ended up on their board. It was a lot of, you know, me pushing through, like taking the initiative to do volunteering work, somebody connecting me to Mary and like having a coffee with her and telling her like, I want to be on board roles. What should I do? And how do I do it? And and taking her advice, you know, building, yeah, again, coming back to that relationship building. So I, I've also had an immense fear of public speaking in my career, and it was at its worst when I was working in law, probably because I had no confidence in anything that I was talking about. <laughs> um, and, you know, since then, I've probably spoken on thousands of stages, like I couldn't even count the number. And so I've had to hit that fear head on and really push through it and again that's been me just wanting to learn and grow and do something that I can then tell other women it's okay like I also have had this immense fear of public speaking but we need women on stages like yes. I, I remember being asked to speak on a panel years ago and and the woman called me up and said oh we've been struggling to find a woman will you speak on this panel like oh that is the worst <laughs> way to ask me to speak on a panel but I have to say yes yes I just have to and so I say yes even though I'm shit scared many many times does, does that still come up that fear all the time and and I even have moments like just before we you know do this podcast interview of like oh my god do I know what to say do I remember what questions you were going to ask what's this conversation yes. going to be yes but I think I've become really comfortable with knowing I'm always really nervous just before the yes. more prepared I am the better and then once I'm up there it takes like it takes me kind of five to ten minutes and then I'm comfortable and you can ask me anything and I've kind of gotten into a zone so I think there's some kind of pattern recognition where I just know the fear I'm well acquainted with it and I just need to um, you're leaning yeah. into it you're leaning into that fear and I think that's admirable and I mean it's it's incredibly inspiring and the language that you use that I loved here is being bold and ambitious mm. I mean I grew up in being socialized ambition is a dirty word for women and I love that you've just put that out there same as you did with the failure and you're embracing that and celebrating it and changing that perception of what we can be as women. So I think that's really wonderful. As we wrap up for today, two last questions that I'd, I'd love to cover. Uh, the first is you are surrounded by so many incredible, incredibly talented innovators and entrepreneurs through the One Roof community and your own extensive network. 
Is there anyone in particular who's inspired you along this journey to get up and do what you do every day? Or is it a collective Mm. inspiration? (laughs) It it is collective and there are so many people. But if I had to call out someone, um, Dr. Katrina Wallace um, has been a massive support and mentor and influencer to me. Um, She was the CEO and founder of um, Flamingo, which is an artificial intelligence company. And it was ASX listed. And it was actually the second company in ASX history to have a female CEO and chairperson. She's inspired me in many ways, because firstly, she's a single mom of five while running, you know, used to be an ASX company and raising capital and traveling between the US and Australia. And um going through all the challenges, pitching to hundreds of men, um, being the only woman in every room, particularly in AI and in such a, you know, a uh, male-driven industry. And so she's a real trailblazer. And I think what I love most about her is that she's always got time and she wants to give back to people younger than her and she wants to learn from people younger than her and she, you know, knows that young people are the way of the future and she's not this kind of person that's like, I'm older, I know, this is how you do it, you've got to do the hard yards. It's like, I want to learn from you. What's what's the new way? And then she's always learning and open to that. And also she talks about how hard it was being at the top and that that's not necessarily what she wanted. And now she's no longer running this ASX listed company and she's, she's happy. Like she's doing other things and consulting and doing a lot of work in um, ethical AI and in stuff that she's really passionate about. And so I think it also comes back to we glamorize this idea of being at the top and being CEOs and ASX listed and raising lots of capital and that's like our measures of success but I think we have to keep questioning is that actually success Mm. and can women do it differently and you know have we just been conditioned in this patriarchal society to think that that's success and if that's not success, then what is and what kind of lives do we want to live and what kind of impact do we want to have? And Patricia, like you will have seen and all the women you work with, most of us are driven by impact. Like we're already past the whole, I need to make lots of money in order to be successful. That that doesn't drive us and, and it often never has. No. And so, yeah, it's like we're grappling this world where we're still the underdogs and it's still very patriarchal and money is still power. Mm. And yet we actually define success quite differently. And so how do we show up in this world and actually just be true to ourselves without feeling like we've ended up at the top and hate every second of it? Like we yeah. want to create success on our own terms. Look, I love that. It's it's powerful. And I think um, running a business, running a company is so intensive that I, I couldn't agree more. There's There's different ways to work in a sustainable way and create that long-term legacy and impact and it's interesting to even look at running a business as a cycle like it might be a five-year cycle a seven-year cycle and then you go on as you said with Dr Katrina Wallace to to do something that's impactful in a very different way so it's not this uh, straight line that we're running in for 40 years but perhaps dedicating an intensive burst bringing in a team to, to help achieve that mission and then moving on to something else. I'm just curious, was was Dr. Wallace a mentor of yours or somebody? And, and the reason I ask is because I think this is so important that you've got this connection, even if you're an observer. I'm curious, though, for other people who might also be considering mentoring to keep that in mind, 
to be thinking mm. of either the next generation or a different demographic to work with and pass on your knowledge. And as you said, to learn from. Absolutely. So, yeah, she, I ended up becoming friends with her son and it was like a funny way and he worked for the Foundation for Young Australians and I was just amazed by this organisation working yeah. with young people Um and anyway, he eventually one day was like, you'd love my mom. Like, you really remind me of her and I should connect you to her. And so he ended up connecting us and she was actually running a women's co-working space in Sydney. So okay. there was this very clear common ground. And so we ended up catching up and then she wanted me to take over her co-working space in Sydney because she was building Flamingo and didn't have time to run the co-working space. And so we kind of partnered in a way that was a massive fail for like another failure story but um we built this great relationship and again it comes back to you know I think about just because she's you know a lot older than me doesn't mean I don't you know and often we feel like when we're young and inexperienced we have nothing to offer but there's so much you can offer to a relationship and over the years we've become great friends and you know I asked her to be on my one roof advisory board and every time I've gone through like hard challenges with splitting with a business partner or dealing with investors I'll call her and get ask her for advice and so yeah it's just building that relationship and becoming friends and she's been an unofficial mentor like we've never kind of said you're now my mentor no um but it's built a close connection and almost like family now over over the years well, that's incredible and, and, and thank you for sharing that personal story because it, I think it really does show the power of building up your network and your connections organically and seeing how that connection can emerge into something more without always thinking about the take or what you need to do in business but rather looking at it from an interpersonal perspective and seeing what emerges. Yeah. And um, my last question today, One Roof is incredibly impactful. You did outline some of the, the measures you're taking earlier, you are a B Corp, you um, give back to members when they join through a social enterprise that you're connected with, Metal. Um, there's so many different ways that you are impactful. What's one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners who are also thinking about starting an impact-driven company? I would say that you need to think about impact and profit or I- impact and business models. So, Um, often impact entrepreneurs are actually totally driven by the impact side and that's very important and that's great and usually they kind of nail you know you've got to have a great story and a a great kind of messaging behind it all Mm. Um, but at the same time you've got to think about the business model and it just needs to kind of sit alongside the impact and you know it can be harder for impact entrepreneurs because if you're just building a business selling chairs and you don't care what the impact is then I guess it's kind of easier right like it's harder <laughs> to build in impact into what you do but it's it's um, most of us are driven by that and it's a much more meaningful and important way of doing business and I think is the present and future of how all businesses are going to operate if not already so I think yeah my, my experience with a lot of impact entrepreneurs has been they haven't fully nailed the business model it's important to focus on that and make sure that what you're selling and offering is as good as your competitors who may not have impact, which is hard, but it's important. You know, it comes back to like, I think of like um, Street, which was one of the first impact-driven businesses. And I remember the founder, amazing woman saying like, 
if we didn't serve coffee that was just as good as the coffee down the road, no one's going to buy from us just because we're an impact business. Like the coffee has to be just as good. Otherwise, the messaging's not enough and the impact's not enough. So, yeah, and I think there's a lot of people like Patricia out there and, and Patricia is building this incredible school to Thank support with, with that. And I think as impact entrepreneurs, you need that support. Thank you, Cherie. And uh, I think it's a great point to end on it. There's been a lot of research done in recent years about conscious consumers who, to your point, they are willing to pay more for products that are ethically and sustainably made, but the product must be as good as the product next to it on the shelf that is not ethically and sustainably made. It's not just about creating a brand story and marketing a product and greenwashing. Um, you've really got to look at the value that you deliver through the product and service. So uh, there's been so many enlightening points from today's conversation. I appreciate your candor in sharing and giving your time to this, uh, this conversation. And in particular, it's the storytelling. I feel we learn in particular as women through the stories that are told. So this will be a great episode for, for people to listen to again. And I certainly look forward to, to collaborating with you and One Roof in the future, Cherie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Patricia. I really took away from this interview that Cherie's power is her capacity to storytell in such an honest way and to share the learnings from her own business journey. What did you think? I appreciate you joining the conversation on Meet the Leaders, Insider Stories from Impact Business Innovators, and would love for you to contribute to the conversation by leaving a review. I encourage you to be courageous in living your own values, and in particular, overcoming market failures and pivoting your business to be able to be sustainable and continue your impact. And uh, I appreciate that you've joined the conversation today. Have a great day.